This week on Raffi Reviews, Raffi Reviews, The Suicide Squad. So, not counting the first Wonder Woman movie, or Shazam, uh, this is probably the best experience I've had with a DC movie in a very long time. Um, I'm, I'm shooting off pretty early here, but The Suicide Squad is such a good movie, and it's really hard to decide if I think it's really good because it, it does everything I want in a comic book movie. Or if it is just purely that good of a film. It's kind of hard because I can't remove my comic book bias from my opinion. Um, this is a comic book movie. I am a comic book fan. And, like, I don't know, man. Like, it's, it's crazy how good this movie is. And it's, like, kind of unfair for Warner Brothers now to kind of, like, try and walk off from, because I don't think it's ever going to be, it, they're not going to make a DC movie that's as good as this, like, this movie is, it's not embarrassed to be what it is, and it's, like, leaning into what it is, and it's proud of that, and, like, it, it does so much in contrast to what other DC movies do, that, again, it, it could only come from someone like James Gunn, who is kind of doing his own thing. It's just incredible, man. Um, so, yeah, today we're talking about The Suicide Squad, uh, directed by James Gunn. This is, uh... <laughs> I'm hoping this is a fun review, because, like, this movie's really good. Like, I, I, I came out of this wanting to watch it again and wanting to know more about the movie itself. Um... I remember when the whole James Gunn stuff was going down with Disney and Warner Brothers snatched him up for this uh, movie. And, like, it, it was like... I was happy, I guess, that James Gunn was getting work. Um, but I was, like, skeptical, you know? Because the first Suicide Squad was just this train wreck of a movie. And now it's gotten to a point where, like... I feel like everyone knows the first Suicide Squad movie isn't good. Um, I think I think at like early accounts, people were kind of back and forth about it, but most people seem to dislike that movie, and you know for good reason. But like now, there's sort of the yeah, but that wasn't really Ayer's cut, and like that the whole like directors not getting their cut thing is this whole conversation piece that I really think needs to be looked into more, because <sighs> giving a director complete control is how you get the Suicide Squad, but giving a director limited control, or at least not all the control that they need or want for their movie, like, it's weird, right? Because full control of their of a movie 
prevented the Snyder Cut from existing at first, right? Because we got the Snyder Whedon Cut that was in theaters. And then enough little piss ants made a big deal of it online. And so we got the four-hour Snyder Cut on, on HBO Max, right? And, you know, results may vary. The point is that we had to get this extra four-hour cut and people had to be assholes about it to finally get that cut on HBO Max. Meanwhile, you know, and because of that, there's kind of this, not expectation, but there's assumption that if people fight hard enough, we can get extra cuts to movies that aren't as good as they were promised to be. Like, because of the Snyder Cut thing, you have someone like David Ayer, who directed the first Suicide Squad movie, but his movie was just edited to pieces by basically a company that makes trailers, right? So after that movie comes out, I, and I know recently Ayer talked about this, but he was like, you know, he had his own vision for what his Suicide Squad was going to be, and the Warner Brothers executives just kind of like threw it into a paper shredder and took out, you know, what they liked. And, and there are people that want, like, an air cut. And I don't think we're going to get that, <laughs> because not enough people want the air cut, in contrast to the Snyder Cut stuff. But I think it sort of informs what Warner Brothers' strategy is going to be going forward, because James Gunn had complete control of this, the Suicide Squad movie. Um, and it was really just a matter of how much he could get away with, and he got away with a lot. There's a lot of, like, blood and gore in this movie. Um... I mean, it got an R rating. Granted, it was on a streaming platform, so I imagine it might have been different if you wanted to take this into theaters. But then again, Warner Brothers wouldn't be so lenient with control if it weren't for stuff like the Snyder Cut and the original Suicide Squad uh, movie. Um, and, it, you know, it, it gives me hope, I guess, for other movies, because I know uh, Matt Reeves has his The Batman movie, and... Hopefully that's something where Warner Brothers is kind of leaning off. But I guess we'll see. Like, Warner Brothers, in terms of making DC movies, they've always been a reaction-based um, company. If a superhero movie comes out and people complain about one thing, they'll go completely in the opposite direction, sometimes to their own detriment. So, seeing this is... Ex uh, excuse me. <laughs> I said sex for some reason. Um, the success of The Suicide Squad is also going to be interesting because I don't think it's going to show in terms of box office because I know, you know, we're, we're dealing in COVID times right now and we're also dealing in a situation where if you don't want to spend 15 to $20 going to your local movie theater to watch an R-rated movie uh, with, like, you know, John Cena in it and stuff, if you don't want to go out and do that, you can get HBO Max and, and like... It's free on HBO Max. It's not even one of those... I mean, it's not even one of those things where you have to... Where it's like Disney Plus, you pay 30 bucks or whatever. But, like, all you gotta do is have a subscription. And you can just watch it and then cancel the subscription, you know? Um, so, in terms of money, I don't think Warner Brothers is gonna see much. And I think that that could be a bad sign. Like, it's a company. It's Warner Brothers. They could very well be sitting in their chairs and saying to themselves, Well, this movie didn't make the money that, you know, we spent for it. Or, you know wasn't worth getting director of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. It's hard to tell. But, I mean... I mean, hopefully, you know, there's some... I mean, word of mouth definitely helps the movie out. 
and if you have the option to see it in the movie theater, I, I would do it. I didn't see it in the movie theater. I know I'm kind of being a hypocrite, but um, I don't know. Maybe one of these days I will. Um, I definitely think I'll buy this on Blu-ray when it comes out, just, again, to really... Because I really <laughs> I want more DC movies like this. And if spending money on this movie is what indicates to Warner Brothers that this strategy for making a film worked, then, like, whatever. I'll, I'll drop, you know, I don't know, 30 bucks? Is that how much movies cost on Blu-ray? I don't know. I haven't bought a movie in, in many years. Um, but yeah, this movie's great. Uh, we're going to go through the characters, a couple of notes. Uh, we're going to talk about the future of the Suicide Squad, and then we'll grade it, and uh, we'll go from there. Alright, so... I would say the lead character in this movie is Bloodsport, um, played by Idris Elba. Uh, Bloodsport's a lot of fun. He's, you know, the, the gunny shooty boy in this movie. And uh, Idris Elba just, like, really showing off acting chops. Um, he's super great. <clears throat> um, in hindsight, it's like, man, why'd, <laughs> why'd we make him Heimdall in Marvel? Because he, he's got a lot of range to him. Um, I really like... <clears throat> Excuse me. I really like his uh, his costume. Like his armor is really cool. The mask is really cool. It's got like the the jaw, not jawline. Is that what I'm thinking? The jawline and teeth, like the bottom half of the skull, is part of the mask. It looks good. <clears throat> I like his whole gimmick where he constructs his own weaponry from like components all over his suit, and he's got like a weird like slingshot thing on his wrist. It's just really cool, and he's got like a, a swinging like spike ball. <laughs> He, he's like, he's like if Nerf actually made tools of destruction, like weapons of destruction, if Nerf went into the weapons business. Um, <clears throat> in terms of the character, again, like, I, I think he's really good. Um, they do a good job in this movie at kind of setting the bar at how good and how bad he is as a person. Um, they mentioned that he shot Superman and put him in the ICU. I would have liked to see that, but whatever. <laughs> Um, now apparently, <clears throat> um, I'm trying to remember how this goes. Wikipedia says something, but I don't know if it's completely, uh, the thing. Alba was reportedly originally cast to replace Will Smith as Deadshot, but the character was changed to Bloodsport to allow Smith to reprise his role in the future. Uh, Gunn did not change the story that he had written for Alba and just chose Bloodsport because he liked the character in the comics. So... Yeah, so so like, apparently he was gonna replace dead or he was gonna be Deadshot, but he's replacing Will Smith. Um, I don't know, man. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing, right? If James Gunn is given liberty to make another the Suicide Squad movie, he might just use Will Smith if Will Smith is down for it. And I feel like, based on the success of this movie, I don't know. I feel like Will Smith would be interested if he knew that this one did so well that people liked it so much. Especially if there's the chance that he could actually die in a movie. But then again, it's weird, right? Because I don't know if this is just a scripting thing, but because he was originally going to be the new Deadshot, um, there's a lot of things about Idris Elba's character that are just kind of Deadshot again. And it didn't hit me until, like, you know, some of the trailers and everything, but, like, he's doing it because he's got this daughter that he's trying to help out, and, you know, he's... He's a gun expert, you know, and he kind of, he kind of 
gets into little dick measuring contests with the other, like, macho men of the team. That being said, there's still enough about Idris Elba that is different. You know, there's still... Like, Bloodsport isn't a very good dad, even less so than I would say Deadshot. Like, he, he like, curses at his kid and everything. Um, he really makes it apparent that he never even wanted a kid, but he still cares about her. Um, even if he does it in a minute. There's, like, the weird fear of rats thing, which is funny. Um, and he kind of develops... Like, he, it's, it's fun, because Bloodsport gets to, like, have friends on the team. Like, he, he has a really good back and forth with, um, with Rick Flagg. Um, there's a little bit of him and Harley Quinn being friends at the end, and then he has, uh, kind of a pseudo... I mean, I, I stress to call it father-daughter relationship, but, like, he and Ratcatcher 2 get along on that aspect as well. So, you know, there's there's enough heart put into this character that, you know, makes him entertaining. I will say, just so I don't forget to mention it towards the end, um, and again, this is a spoiler. This is, this is all spoilers, obviously, but um, I... There, like, there's not a lot of things in this movie I don't agree with, like, there's probably one or two things where I feel like, okay, that could have been maybe tweaked a little bit. Um, I, I, I'm not really into the idea that towards the end of the movie, when Starro is free and he's destroying the city, and Amanda Waller is telling the squad to come back, like, like your mission's done, you can head home, we're not here to stop Starro, like, mission's over, whatever. You don't have to save this town, just come back, right? Of the five characters that remain, Bloodsport is the first to be like, no, we're going to save the city. And I just don't buy that. I get that he's not a completely bad person. But I just don't think he'd be that quick to protect innocent people. You know? I, I think I think there's another character of those five who should have been the first one. And, I, and maybe I'll talk about it when we get to her. But, um... Yeah, there's, there's that little thing. That's, like, one of the only... Literally, there's, like, two things in this movie that I wish were different. And that's one of them, is just, like, good or bad as he is, Bloodsport, I just didn't buy him finding it a moral obligation to, um, to become a hero towards the end. But regardless, Bloodsport's a cool character. They do a lot of cool stuff with him. Um... The design of the character is great. His relationship with the other team members is awesome. Um, and again, even towards the end when he has to kind of turn on, uh, what is it, Peacemaker, like, again, it's just really well done. So, <sighs> that's Bloodsport. Uh, I guess we'll talk about Peacemaker because we just kind of mentioned him. Uh, John Cena as uh, Peacemaker. I cannot get enough of this fucking guy, this fucking character... Peacemaker's so good in this movie, dude. Like, like <laughs> he's getting his own HBO, like, spinoff. And then there's also the thing where John Cena on press tours would just wear the Peacemaker costume, which is just, like, amazing. Like, <laughs> I, I, I really think... I mean, it's... We've had wrestlers be in movies for a while now, but I really think there's still untapped potential to having professional you know, quotations, professional wrestlers as actors because, like, they, they they pull it off so well, dude. How many times has John Cena or Dave Bautista or Dwayne The Rock Johnson, like, pulled off a role in a movie? Like, John Cena's great in this role, 
and it just it, it might just be that Peacemaker is a character full of like post posturing and sort of like straight edgeness, you know. But there's still some like grit to him where he says these ridiculous things about sucking a bunch of dicks off on the beach if it meant liberty or whatever. Um, <clears throat> I love uh, his really long gun with explosive bullets. Uh, his helmet is great, and they they do enough with the helmet where it's like, like he wears it enough. Because there's this whole thing in superhero movies where like they don't have actors wear the full costume or the full mask because they want like like you go to watch like a Spider-Man movie. How many times does he wear like pull off his mask in the finale of the movie so that you can see the guy doing the Spider-Man things? Um, but I feel like with Peacemaker, there was a nice like blend of when he has the helmet and when he doesn't. Um, and again, his rapport with the rest of the team is really good. Um, yeah, honestly, like, <laughs> Peacemaker's one of those characters where, like, I could just keep going on and on about him. And, and his, his big, I don't want to say it's a twist, but his turn towards the end of the movie, and his fight with Rick Flag, and then his fight with Bloodsport, I almost called him Bloodshot, <laughs> um, they're really good, and they're totally within character of what Peacemaker is in the comics, um, and I really love that even when Peacemaker has to turn on his team members, he's, like, regretful about it. Like, he doesn't want to hurt them, and it's not personal for him. But, like, it's good, man. <laughs> and Cena sells it. You can tell it's like, come on, don't don't make me kill you. I have to kill you, but, like, don't make this more difficult than it has to be. Um, just super good, man. <laughs> I'm so glad he's getting a spinoff. I'm really looking forward to that. Um... Let's see. <clears throat> I guess we can talk about Harley Quinn. I guess she's important enough. So, like, I have a history of sort of being lukewarm on Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. I think she does a good job. Let me, let me get that across now. In every film I've seen her in, which is only two, um, <laughs> Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. Like, she, she gets it. You know what I mean? And what I appreciate in this movie <clears throat> is that they don't make an attempt to... Like, they split the difference on Harley when it comes to certain scenes. Like, like w most of the time, Harley Quinn is, like, this ridiculous, uh, you know, nonsense, ra like, ra like I, I stress to say little so random. Because she is funny, and she is ridiculous, and she is random. But I don't think it's overbearing over the top. And I think it's because they know it's an ensemble movie, and everyone needs to have moments to talk. So there's not too much Harley Quinn all at one time. And to her credit, they give her kind of her own side plot in the first half of the movie. And it's a side plot that really works with her character. It's kind of... I mean... I say typical, but I don't think typical is, like, a bad term to apply. Like, I don't mean typical in terms of bad. But, like, there's a bit where she falls in love and it, and it goes wrong. And, like, I say it's typical because Harley Quinn is this character that you, you kind of bank off of her being attractive... But they sell it off really well, and there's a really good payoff to her kind of B-plot that goes back to what we know about Harley and her past relationships with, like, the Joker and stuff. Um, and that's done really well. Um, and again, like, what I was trying to say before, because I kind of interrupted myself, I really like that when Harley is in an action scene, like, again, there's a bit where she's escaping from, like, imprisonment by, like, 
the location here is like vaguely Cuba. <laughs> it's not called that. Um, what's what's the name of the fucking this Corto Maltese? Okay, right. Corto Maltese, yeah, which is like. Uh, it's just a fake place in DC Comics, but anyway, she's, like, captured, and she, like, snaps a guy's neck and, like, escapes from the capture and goes on this killing rampage to get out, and it's not... The only funny thing about it is, like, they do all this, like, flower and birds animation around it, like, this, like, cartoony, like, maybe it's in her head animation, but without that, she's just straight up murdering people and, like, being effective at it. And it's not funny. She's not making jokes about how she's killing these people as she's killing them. She's just killing them and then walking out. And then when the scene's over, she's casual and she's funny again. And I really enjoy that about her because, again, Harley Quinn is a character who very easily could be overbearing. Um, and I think that by taking the humor out of her action scenes, you really get across the idea that this person is mentally unhinged without her just straight up saying that she's mentally unhinged. Like... You are showing it to me instead of just having her make jokes about killing people. Um, and I think that makes a really big difference. And I also just like a lot of the visual stuff with Harley in this movie. Like, it, it, not just in terms of wardrobe, but like, they removed some of her tattoos from the previous Suicide Squad movie. They put her in more clothes, which is nice. <laughs> uh, she's not just wearing underwear now. <laughs> um... She's super fun. She gets to carry the javelin, and the javelin's an ongoing bit in this. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I like Harley Quinn in this movie. I really... Uh, I wish... <laughs> if, if James Gunn can't do another Suicide Squad movie, we should just give James Gunn a Harley Quinn movie. I think he understands her really well. Um, and yeah, I could just watch more of, you know, him and Margot Robbie's interpretation of this character. Um... Yeah, Harley Quinn's really good. No surprise that she didn't die. <laughs> um, but a character that I was surprised who died, who I really want to talk about, uh, is Joel Kinnaman as Rick Flagg. And this is nuts, dude. So, like, in the first Suicide Squad movie, I had no regard for Rick Flagg. I was like, whatever. <laughs> he's a military dude. I guess he's fucking the Enchantress. Uh, he's just there. And he's kind of dirty looking. And, like... I don't know if it was Joel Kinnaman's, like, the way he was directed in that movie, or how the movie was written, or if it was just him entirely. Like, I don't know who to blame for this, but there's a lot of lines from Rick Flagg in the first Suicide Squad movie that have become memes now. You, you know, um, he kind of he, he leaned too much into the good old boy Southern soldier kind of aspect in that first movie. Um, you know, I'm a soldier. This is Katana. She's got my back. <laughs> you know, ridiculous lines like that. And, like, I was super surprised in this movie because I really like Rick Flagg in this movie. He's, like, somehow making him more, I don't want to say friendly, but making him a more reliable ally to the rest of the team and having him kind of have a rapport with Bloodsport, um... And, and there's a scene where, like, and this is in trailers, so it's not much of a spoiler, but there's a scene where Harley Quinn walks up to Rick Flagg as Rick Flagg is directing this rescue mission to save Harley. And when he sees that she's um, free, he's kind of like, oh, man, we had a really good plan to, to save you. 
and like she's like, oh, I can I can go back and you can do the plan, <laughs> and like she hugs him. And it's kind of uncomfortable because like when she hugs him, Rick Flag rubs the ba- her back with like his pistol, and it's like, dude, that's. I don't know why that made me so uncomfortable, but it did. Like, maybe it's just the idea of someone having a cold gun against your back, just rubbing it. But, like, especially because that scene is so sweet, you know, between the two of them. And then, like, you know, he just has... He has, I don't see dead... Yeah, like a deadpan kind of funniness to him. Um, And, again, just seeing him interact with the other people that are on the squad is really good. There's a whole bit where they rescue him, and I guess that's a good place to kind of bring up this issue. And it has really nothing to do with Rick Flag, but there's a bit where the squad rescues Rick Flag from this enemy camp, and because they don't have the like proper information, the squad ends up killing all the soldiers at this camp, only to discover that Rick Flag was saved by like um, like a freedom fighter union, I guess, like a group of rebels um, led by Sol Soria who's a character in this movie, and, like, because they killed all those, like, freedom fighters, Soul Soria is, like, like, a little, like, okay, you would expect her to be fucking incredibly angry. You would expect her to kill one of them in return, or, like, just abandon them or something, but, like, she kind of just gets over it. And, like, I, I don't have a lot to say, about Soul Sor Soul Ah God, what is her name? Soul Soria. Uh, is that her name? Uh, sorry. Oh yeah, Soul Soria, the leader of a rebel faction on Corto Maltese. I know she's not a major character, but like, dude, to the Suicide Squad fucking walk in, kill this whole army. Find out they're the good guys. And then the leader of the good guys is like, oh, oh, well, I got more guys who are somewhere else. I mean, I guess it plays to her also being a bad person, like everyone else that's part of the Suicide Squad. But, like, she's not part of the Suicide Squad. I I don't know. I feel like my quick fix for that, and again, I I don't feel as strongly about this change as I do about one regarding Bloodsport. My quick fix for that would be, like, save a member of, like, the the distraction team like uh like like Mongal, right the alien chick you save her <laughs> like you instead of putting her on that first team you put her on blood sports like second team and, and when they meet Solsoria and they end up killing her soldiers in return they're like okay well here you can take mongol Mongal. she is she is basically a supergirl you can use her to try and get your country back you know and then later you can kill Mongal off if you still want to kill her off but like I don't know, that's, she, she just kind of bounces back from like, oh, (laughs) Rick, your guys are, (laughs) like, she's like, Rick Flag, your soldiers killed my soldiers, and he's like, I'm sorry, and she's like, okay, (laughs) I feel like, and again, the squad did help her get control of her country, so I guess that's kind of the return on that, but, anyway, we're not talking about her, we're talking about Rick Flag, and again, he's good, like, they don't, insist upon him too much. They don't even bring up if he's with Enchantress anymore, which I appreciate. But you you kind of imply the first movie happened because the, that he has a prior, like, friendship with Harley Quinn, you know? Um, and, and that explains the fucking Bloodsport thing, too, because if that character was originally just going to be, like, a recast dead shot, again, you, you, you establish the two of them have worked together before, so that kind of makes sense. But, again, it's not dead shot, it's Bloodsport. 
Um, but yeah, I just love him in this movie. He just he also like looks better. Not just that he gets to wear like the the brick flag yellow shirt, but like I don't know. Maybe it's just because Joel Kinnaman is like clean shaven now. Oh, did you guys know he's, he's Swedish American? I had no idea he was Swedish American. Um, but like he looks better. He looks like he's gotten more sleep. He looks like he's a bit more on the ball. Um, again, maybe it's a haircut thing. Just, just like based on the first week, he just looked like a real shit stain. You know what I mean? Um, and man, you know, it, there's a bit towards the end. I don't know. I've I've seen people complain about him wanting to, because again, like the the the, the, twist, the the twist later in the movie is that Star of the Conqueror was experimented on and stuff at the request of the American government, right? And they have all these these files and footage about America's involvement in it. And uh, Rick Flagg is like, I need to show this to the media. It, it reminded me of uh, Watchmen in that regard, like the Rorschach files and stuff. But like, he's like, people need to know about Starro, and then America basically like set this up and did all this fucked up shit. And, and this is after Peter Capaldi, um, the thinker, shows Rick Flagg all of these, like, horrifying test subjects. People who have been cut in half, who have their faces removed, like, just a disgusting cavalcade of corpses. Like, I think it's kind of within his character to be like, no, this is fucked up, people need to know about... I mean, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to tell, right? Because Rick Flagg is really kind of a blank slate type of character. But the fact that he sees these horrible things and he's like, people need to know that America is responsible for this. Like, he he goes against the grain and I think he does it knowing that there isn't a bomb in his head. Like, he is a soldier and his, like, his mission's to the American people, but, like, not to the ideals of America. I don't know. He's much like Peacemaker where he's there because he's a soldier. But, like, I guess they just work on two different sides of the the spectrum on that, like, that's just, I don't know, that's interesting to think about, that the two of them effectively are there for the f same reasons, but, was he even in the room? He was in the room. I'm pretty sure he was in the room, but, like, that's just interesting to me, that you have these two characters, Rick Flagg and uh, Peacemaker, who are there on kind of the same job, but because, like, they just, ah, <laughs> I can't explain these words properly. It's interesting to see two, two characters who are very similar, but when given this knowledge, you get to see where their loyalties lie. Like, Rick Flagg is more loyal to the idea that, like, of America's future, I guess, that we can't allow our country to get away with doing the things that they used to do. Whereas Peacemaker is, no, is like, no, like, we got to where we are because of the fucked up things we do, so we have to protect the people that do those fucked up things. Um... And then, of course, Rick Flagg's death was just, like, I, I was surprised. Because, <laughs> like, I think the idea that they put across between the first movie and this one is that you can't have Suicide Squad without Rick Flagg, and I, I don't believe in that. Like, a lot of people were kind of upset that he, they, they killed him off. Because we because the movie, because Gunn made us like Rick Flagg. Um, but, like, I wasn't too upset because I was like, you know, the Suicide Squad, I think, is a concept. It, you don't even need Amanda Waller to do the Suicide Squad if you've already done it with Amanda Waller. Like, it could be anyone else setting up this squad. We even see in this movie that she has a staff, you know what I mean? But, like, man, when they killed... 
they did like a fucking Mortal Kombat. I mean, it makes sense because it's Warner Brothers. They did like a Mortal Kombat X-ray on Peacemaker stabbing, uh, what's his name, stabbing Rick Flagg's heart out. And I kind of knew in the back of my head, like, I knew in the back of my head they weren't going to kill Peacemaker. Um, even when they killed him, killed him, I knew he was getting a show. Maybe it was going to be a prequel. I don't know. But like, even in the back of my head, I was like, well, they're not going to kill Peacemaker. Because they're giving him a show, and also he's this colorful character, and clearly John Cena likes playing this character. And also, I, I appreciate, I know I'm going, back, I'm going back to Peacemaker about this, but like, going back to that thing about him regrettably fighting Rick Flagg. Like, he respects and doesn't, like, he, he respects Rick Flagg, but if he has to kill him, he will, even though it hurts him to do so. Like, that, that hesitance is admirable in a character who will kill you for peace. Um, but, like, what was I saying? Um, I didn't think they were going to kill Peacemaker off. But I also didn't think they were going to kill Rick Flagg off, so I don't know how I expected that scene to go. Maybe they knocks Rick Flagg out, but even then, I don't think Peacemaker would... He's efficient. He would, he would finish the job, you know? Um, yeah, well, Rick Flagg. Rip. <laughs> Rip Flagg. Pretty nuts, dude. I mean, but, like, good. Like, <laughs> not good that he's dead, but, like, good that we liked him before. Like, because if, if this was the Rick Flag from the first movie, not to keep comparing it to Ayer's movie, but, like, we, I don't think I'd care. <laughs> I don't think I'd care at all. But it's more personal, and it's, you know, you've seen these characters kind of, like, have fun together. So, yeah, that's Rick Flag. Uh, let's talk about Ratcatcher 2 the sequel to Ratcatcher 1. Um, what's her name? What's her name? Daniela Melchior? I've never seen this actress before. Um, she's good, though. <laughs> oh, she's Portuguese. That's cool. So she is Ratcatcher 2. A character that I don't think... No, he, she actually didn't exist in common. I mean, I... I could double check. I'm not going to. I I have heard of the rat catcher. I had never heard of a rat catcher too, right? And the idea is that she's the daughter of the original rat catcher, who's played by Taika Waititi, which is fun. It's a fun little like casting cameo there. Um, she's good in this movie. Like she, rat catcher too. She's like the heart of the movie, and like she's she's like too good to be on the Suicide Squad. Like too good as a person to be on the Suicide Squad. Um. But she's done really well. She's performed very well. Um, the whole rat thing is funny because she has like a pet rat named uh, what's the name of the rat? Oh, I can't. Remember. Oh, Sebastian. The rat. The rat's name is Sebastian. And what's funny is, I don't know to what extent that this like meant, but like, what's funny is that. Uh, what is it? The Rat. Sebastian the Rat is voiced by D. Bradley Baker. Which is like, what? <laughs> I know D. Bradley Baker from, like, cartoons and stuff. Like, from voicing Ben 10 aliens. Why did we need a voice for the Rat? <laughs> we, couldn't, we couldn't use actual Rat sounds? I don't understand. <laughs> Regardless. Um, yeah, Sebastian exists, and he's cute. Being a cute animal in this movie, and King Shark isn't enough. Um... But yeah, I just like I like that rat catcher too. Is just like nice, <laughs> you know. She doesn't belong here. She's she's the small baby child. She doesn't need to be part of the Suicide Squad. And of course, like her relationship with 
um, the rest of the team. Like, she wants to be friends with these people. She works pretty well with them. Um, her relationship with King Shark is really cute. Her relationship with um, Bloodsport is nice. And, you know, getting to the thing I was talking about earlier, because, um, I, again, I, I wasn't... I didn't like that towards the end. Bloodsport was like, you know what? Screw it, Waller said. I'm going to save the city from Starro. Who's with me? I get that his arc is becoming a leader the way Amanda wanted him to. But I just don't think... I think that in the end, um, you try so hard, but it doesn't even matter. I fucked that up. No. I think, because towards the end, you get Polka Dot Man, uh, King Shark, Harley Quinn, Bloodsport, and Ratcatcher, right? That's like the final five team. Towards the end, when Starro's attacking, hey, Starro's a star, five points, five remaining Suicide Squad members. Towards the end, when Suicide Squad, or when Starro is on the attack, it's, you know, everyone's going to leave because Amanda Waller told them to. The person that should have turned around and said, no, I'm going to help these people, should have been Ratcatcher too. Like, this is what I mean when I say when I say that I felt strongly about this. Ratcatcher 2 is, like, the secret protagonist of this movie. Like, she has a tragic backstory where her dad was, like, a, a homeless scientist who could control rats, who lived in the sewers, and somehow he had a daughter, even though he was a homeless man in a sewer. Um, <laughs> but he died of a drug overdose, which is really heavy. And then she came to America and robbed one bank... And was, and was thrown into the Suicide Squad program. She's like a kid, you know what I mean? And her power isn't even spectacular until it is, and, you know, towards the end. Like, the whole thing with... Like, she, she beats Starro. Now, granted, she has the help of the, the rest of the squad, but, like, does she? Because <laughs> I think by that point, King Shark is thrown into a building. I guess Harley Quinn pops his eye, but, like... Man, this movie's gory. Uh, like, her rats save the day, like, she's, like, the secret protagonist, so I feel like it's, and also she's nice, and I, I like, I feel like I've said that before, with the same sigh afterwards, but, like, it, it's this thing where, throughout the movie, she's shown to be a good person who cares about her teammates, and she cares about rats, and there's this whole thing you know, and they kind of do this before she saves the day, where she has a flashback about, yeah, that's right, she has a flashback during the Starro fight, where she's with her father, and she's a little girl, and her father is talking about how rats are, like, the lowest and most pathetic creatures, but there's so many of them, um, and, like, you can equate that to people, you can have her be like, you know, I'm gonna save the people of Corto Maltese, because, like, because in comparison to Starro, they are nothing. They are just puppets that he's going to control and, and, and kill along the way. But, like, it, it, it's almost like... It's almost like Ratcatcher 2 to the rats is what Starro is to humans. Because Starro can control humans, but he hates them and he wants them all to die and be destroyed. Meanwhile, Ratcatcher Ratcatcher Duke can control rats, but she's befriending rats, and she wants to help the rats, and she knows the rats will help her. Like that's like they have a parallel that they play play off of each other, but like they like but they don't like they don't like 
focus on that. You, it's like underlining, and I'm, you know, it's a bit of a reach to even compare the two, but like, I just really like Rakuja 2 as a character, and I like that she gets the the little like finale victory. Because it's like, you wouldn't expect, like, a lot of these characters are like, oh, their power, I don't know, he can throw polka dots at people. You wouldn't expect them to have a moment where it's like, they make a difference, you know what I mean? Um, so I just feel like towards the end of the movie, when Waller is like, okay, you can all come back, your mission is done, you can leave Cordo Mortis or whatever, we're not here to stop Starro or save them, right? When they When the five of them start walking away, like, Ratcatcher 2 should be like, no, like, we should help these people. And and, and that would have worked really well because, of course, Ratcatcher 2 is one of the few characters where Bloodsport is like, I will die for her. Like, I have I have formed a bond with Ratcatcher 2, despite my fear of rats, and, uh, you know, I'm not going to let her kill herself. And, and it's like, she brings out the best in him, you know what I mean? Um... And, like, him seeing Ratcatcher 2 similar to his daughter, like, he's only doing all this because of his daughter. Anything anything good in Bloodsport is because of his daughter. Even if, like, he doesn't know it or his daughter doesn't know it, like, any good that comes out of him comes from his relationship with his daughter. And so to translate that into Ratcatcher 2 and be like, you know, any good that comes from Bloodsport on the Suicide Squad comes from his relationship with these people like him being a leader has nothing to do with him calling the shots or commanding people it comes from how his team members kind of affect him and change his perspective so i just really wish that small of a change was made and i get that Bloodsport again he's the poster child for the movie um yeah i just think it would have made much more sense if it was Ratcatcher 2 who wanted to turn around and help people and again, it would have made sense because, like, unlike Bloodsport, I would say the rest of the team kind of openly befriends Ratcatcher 2. Like, like you get the idea that Bloodsport and Ratcatcher 2 are friends and they, they talk to each other like friends do, but he's a bit more hesitant to go the extra mile. Whereas if Ratcatcher 2 was like, I'm going to go save these people, King Shark would be like, oh, friend is leaving, I better follow her. And Polka Dot Man would be like, you know, I was made to be a superhero, this is my chance, I'm gonna go do that. Harley Quinn, who just had the Birds of Prey movie, is like, hey, yeah, helping people's a good thing. Bye, I'm gonna go with them, or whatever. Like, it would have been enough to eventually lead to Bloodsport being like, I guess she's right, I'll go too. I don't know. Maybe it means, like, maybe it means more for him to be the one that goes and does the thing, but I don't know. I think that could have been changed. Moving on, um, let's see. Ooh, I'm gonna have trouble with this guy's name. David Dos Dosmalchian <laughs> as the polka dot man. Um, I don't have much to say about this guy, but this guy's great. <laughs> he's funny. He's like not over the top, he's not overly focused on. I wish they did this bit where he sneaks off at night to throw all of his polka dots into a big hole. Otherwise he'll puff up and explode. They didn't focus on that as much as I thought they would. I really thought, like, the way he would die in this movie is by overloading himself with polka dots and then going off like a bomb. Or at the very least, you'd see more of that kind of condition for him. 
Um, but really, they kind of just do... They, they talk about it, like, twice, and there's not really any payoff to it. Um, there's a lot of payoff to the whole thing where he sees his mom everywhere. <laughs> they do that joke really well. I think they do it, like, three times. Um, that's super funny. I, I love that bit where he just sees his mother everywhere. Um, he's, like, properly scary. I heard that he was... Like, the characters... Every character in this movie was given, like, a feel, like, the feel of, uh, like, a different, like, like, Polka Dot Man feels like a Watchmen character intentionally, and I, and I feel that, and I like that, and I like that he's crazy and weird and suicidal, and he's fucked up in the head, but, again, he's not insistent upon himself, um, he gets a lot of scenes where he gets to have fun and dance and, you know, be friends with people, and that's nice, um, and when they're hanging out at, like, the, the club or whatever, and, he's, and they're having shots, like, it's fun, dude. <laughs> um, stuff like that is fun. Like, James Gunn, no, James Gunn knows how to make friendly characters, like, a real group of friends, and that's nice. Um, you know, before Peacemaker fucking shoots him. Um, but Hogan Dot Man's fun. Uh, I'm glad he got, like, a small moment in the sun with, the, with, with him and Starro. But, um... Him, his his death felt like a joke, you know, because he does. I'm the whole, I'm a superhero, and then he gets crushed to death by Starro, and then he's just dead. Um, I kind of wish there was a bit more. It was a joke, obviously, but like, if Bloodsport was just like, oh man, oh Abner, I'm sorry, oh no. Um, but yeah. Leave it, leave it to James Gunn to turn the polka dot man into, like, this, like, uh, what's the word? Inde- I don't want to say endearing. Mo- not modest. Earnest. Into this earnest character that you kind of feel bad to see die. I felt bad seeing him die. I really thought he was going to be on that final, like, he was. He was, like, the last person in the group to die. Um, but if he was going to die, instead of it being a joke, it would have been nice if it was more spectacular. Like... If to win, he intentionally, like, suicide-bombed himself into Starro. Like, he'd be puffed up with all his polka dots and stuff, and then just exploded into Starro. But, whatever. He, he, we had to do the joke, so we did the joke. Um, King Shark. So they never call him King Shark in the movie. Um, his actual name is... Nanao? Nanawe. Nanawe is his name. I had, to, I, had to think, I had to remember Joel Kinnaman saying it, so... Um, and he's voiced by Sylvester... Oh my god, Raffi. You know this man's name. <laughs> he's voiced by Sylvester Stallone, who I love. Um, I know he's old, and he doesn't have to do any more Rambo movies, but uh, Stallone is great. I love Stallone. I, I grew up on the Rocky movies, so I have a lot of heart for this guy. And, like, he he does the voicing very well. He's, he's not really putting on a voice for this. He's kind of just doing Stallone voice, and it works. Uh, for King Shark, and I appreciate that he's not completely dumb, like, he can say a full sentence, um, I don't know, it's, it was, it would have been very easy to just make him Groot again, um, but that's not what they did, like, and I like that, as opposed to the hammerhead shark design from the comics, um, I mean, they go back and forth with King Shark, King Shark has looked like a great white shark, a tiger shark, a, a, a hammerhead shark, I like that they went for the great white shark head because it's easier to see him emote that way. Um, and they gave him, like, the dad bod, which is funny. 
just to really sell the idea that no, this this isn't a shark with arms and legs. This is a man shark. You know what I mean? Um, and he's cute. He's got cute scenes where he tries to make friends and they turn out to be like evil suckerfish. When those suckerfish get loose and they start attaching to him, and then later on, uh, what is it? The 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 soldiers start shooting at him. I know he can survive a gunshot, because by that point we had seen Bloodsport blood shoot him. I was so scared that King Shark was going to die. I was like, no, please, don't let the suckers kill him, please. Uh, but he's durable, and like they give King Shark plenty of opportunities to eat people, and he's got like, a guy's head in between his jaws, and he rips the dude in half. Like It's great, dude. They give King Shark so many great scenes. Um, even when he's in the background, it's just like, oh yeah, they have a fucking shark man with them. Uh, oh my god, King Shark is great. I'll, I might just buy a King Shark plushie just for the fucking hell of it. Uh, and it's good too, because like, I didn't think after the Harley Quinn cartoon, there could be a King Shark that I like so much. Because I like Ron Funch's, uh, King Shark on the Harley Quinn cartoon, but this one's just different enough. But just like because it's like similar body type, but the jokes are different, the voice is different, like a lot of things are different about it, and like, oh my god, it's so good. <laughs> um, more King Shark, please. Love him. Uh, he should got a spinoff. And again, it it helps that one of my favorite like humorous characters, King Shark, gets to be voiced by one of my favorite actors of all time. Like, that's just kind of a good payoff. And it's a good way to keep Stallone relevant in films without, again, taxing his body too much. And, you know, Rambo's one thing. Or, you know, I know Creed probably wasn't that bad on him, but, like, he's getting he's getting there in years. And I feel like... I feel like this is the strategy you go with actors of Stallone's caliber. Not in terms of how good he is at acting, but more like his age and his physicality, like, let him just do voice stuff, man. I think he voiced a lion in an Adam Sandler movie, but, uh, we'll talk about that. <laughs> so, yeah, King Shark's great. I'm glad they kept him alive. Um, yeah. You know, I was kind of surprised, actually, now that I think about it. They don't give him a swimming scene. Like, you see him swim at the beginning when they drop them off at, on the shore, but they don't give him a scene where King Shark has to, like, swim or go underwater. I mean, well, they kind of do towards um, the part with the sucker fish, but, like, yeah, I'm kind of surprised. Um, maybe he should have jumped in the star's eyeball. I don't know. Um, also, like, I hope this movie wins an award, because if, if fucking, if the first Suicide Squad movie can win an award for fucking Killer Croc's shitty makeup, like, give, give King Shark something. Anyway. Uh, another character I want to talk about just real quick, um, King, no, sorry, I just talked about King Shark. Let's talk about him again, guys. Let's spend another 20 minutes. Uh, Peter Capaldi as the Thinker, who, again, another character that, when advertised, you thought, oh, is he, is he part of the squad? No, he's just a side character that they recruit or whatever. They, they kidnap him. Um, his use is very good. I really like the way they use Thinker in this because... The Thinker is a Flash villain, but in this movie, he's just a metahuman that exists and is, like, like part of the plot. Like, they don't make a big deal that he's a super-powered person, because he, I don't know if he even is, I just know he's smart. 
but he's just this weird scientist guy, and they don't make a big deal out of it. And it's not like Waller is like this is the thinker. Before he was part of this project, he was fighting the Flash. Even though Flash has only existed for two years in this universe, does you know, or has he? I don't know. We're not we're not doing continuity anymore, unless we are. <laughs> um, but I want to really mention. I want to quickly mention him because Peter Capaldi. I don't watch Doctor Who, but I've seen the bits where he's talking about war and stuff. And the scene where they're in the lab, and he's like, check it out. I've been experimenting on Star for the last, like, 30 years. Look at all these fucked up corpses I've been messing with who have Starros on their faces. Um, it's pretty messed up stuff. But, like, your American government signed off on it. So, like, he gets his, his political rant, but also gets to just be straight up a mad scientist. Um... I wasn't surprised when he was killed, but I really like the way that they uh, use him in this. Uh, let's see. I'm going to try to run through these, because I, I didn't... I'm not going to talk about every single fucking character in this movie, but uh, Starro. Oh my god, Starro. I love Starro in this movie. <laughs> um, his motivations aren't, you know, fully thought out. He's been sci He's been tested on for like 30 years, so... He's so angry, I guess, at humans in general. He wants to just—he wants to take over Corto Cor Maltese once he's free. But he's a giant starfish, and it's like fucking. Ugh, thank you, James Gunn. Like, a studio would have fucked this up. They would have made Starro black and gray with hints of red. They would have instead of making him a starfish, they would have made him like a fucking, like, Leviathan Kraken monster because that's somehow more serious than a starfish. Um, oh my god, they just, he, they just did Starro. They made him purple and blue, and he walked around on his stupid starfish legs, and he did kaiju shit, and he, and he spat out little Starros from his armpit vagina glands, like, oh my, and then, and then, like, in the comics, Starro will attach a Starro baby to your face to mind control you. But then, like, you know, when the day is saved, they can pull the Starro thing off and you'll be fine. It's like you have some sucker prints on your face, but you're, like, fine. But in this movie, it's like, no, no, no. Starro will burrow into your face. Like, there's there's specifically a shot, I remember, where they're in the lab. And there's a, a corpse in a um, on a bed. And there's a Starro baby <laughs> that's pulled off of the person's face. And where the Starro baby was pulled off is just the outline of a dude's missing face. Like, you see... <clears throat> I don't even think you see his skull. You just, said, you just see, like, plain red and gore and guts, like, face guts. And it's like, this Starro baby took the face? I guess it took part of the skull? Like, I don't know, but, like, holy fuck, that's dark. <laughs> they burrow into your goddamn face... And I guess it makes it easier towards the end because it's like, oh, we can kill these people because they're just zombies now. They're not alive anymore. We can't free them. Um, and then the, the whole bit towards the end when Starro, he's, he's having this fight with the Suicide Squad. Harley Quinn stabs his eye with the javelin and the fucking rats go into his eye and eat out his guts. I haven't said it yet, but in this movie, there's a lot of gore. I don't like gore, right? I loved the gore in this movie because it was beautiful. 
I mean, other than the lab stuff, that was just straight up gross. But just like the bit in the rainstorm when King Shark tears a guy in half, the bit towards the end where the rats are crawling inside of Starro's brain and eating his brain guts and there's blood pus everywhere and it's in water. Like somehow they were able to make blood and gore gorgeous in this movie. Um, but Starro is so good, dude. I don't even think, I don't think Starro has a voice, actually, because he talks through other people. Um, so that's nice. They didn't just make him a talking starfish thing. Um, and, and then just the last bit where he's like, where, where Starro is about to die, and he, the last thing he says is, I was happy, like, in the stars or something. And it's like, it's like, not that it reveals anything, but it's like it kind of like ties the bow on. Oh, he was just like a monster alien thing, and the the government kind of made him into like this monster. I don't know. Like it makes you think, right? Would 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 Starro be evil if he came down to Earth voluntarily without humans fucking with him? You know what I mean? Um, but it's great, dude. Just the fact that we see Starro in a live action movie. We, we would have never gotten that if it weren't for James Gunn. That's, I, or at least it would have taken longer. Um, and then, <clears throat> Amanda Waller, who is played by Viola Davis, is that her name? Yeah, Viola Davis, I remembered. Um, she's in charge of the squad. She doesn't get a lot to do in this movie. You know, she at least gets to fire a gun off in the first one. Um... But what she does do in this movie is great. She's a lot more hard-edged. She's allowed to say, you know, curse words. She's allowed to call these people fuckers. Um, she's she's really good in this movie. She, again, ruthless. Um, you see her kind of organize the squad. And you see she has a staff. And that, her work staff is such a good idea. I love that. I, I love that they gave Amanda Waller, like, employees and... Any mistakes that are made, like, she kind of just is awkwardly looking at this screen. Not even awkwardly, like, deadpan looking at a screen as, like, Weasel drowns. And she's like, did no one think to see if Weasel could swim? And the employees are like, no, I thought, I thought, I thought Alan was on that. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and, like, the staff, like, honestly, the staff are part of who Amanda Waller is now. The staff have, like, running uh, bets in the office of who on the squad will die on a mission. And they're so used to it that you get the idea that they've been doing this for a long time. And that, like, they're just as morally deplorable as Amanda Waller. Not, not, to, not to the extreme, though. I don't think they're as bad. Because there's a bit where she's, like... She basically says that she would kill Bloodsport's daughter if he didn't go along with her plan. And a couple, and, like, one person is like, you wouldn't have really killed his daughter, right? And then the other employees are like, she probably would have. You know, I wouldn't be surprised. So, you, you get this nice dichotomy of, like, people who have been there long enough to know how fucked up Amanda Waller is. And people who are just like, yeah, whatever, they're criminals. Who cares if we kill them? But, like, you kill their daughters, and that's a different story. Like, um, and then the bit towards the, like, oh, my God. I love the bit where, towards the end... The five squad members are like, no, we're going to kill Starro and save Corto Maltese. And Amanda Waller is like, no, I'm going to blow up all your goddamn heads. No, you can't. Here I go. I'm going to do it. And then 
one of the employees knocks her out with a golf club and is like, I'm taking over operations now. We're going to save this city. Like, the fucking staff is like, we're going to help the Suicide Squad save the city because they're not as fucked up and, like, deplorable as Amanda Waller. Like, they're not complete villains. And it's like, if the members of the Suicide Squad can morally change and morally be saved, then so can, like, their staff. And that's just so nice to to see a version of this where the staff is like, okay, Suicide Squad, you're going to want to go this way. We'll help you all over the computers. It's nice, dude. It, it's really a cool moment. And I really thought that by the end, those staff members were going to be fired by Amanda Waller, but I guess she didn't. <laughs> I guess she didn't. Uh, super good. Super good uh, thing with Amanda Waller there. And again, they don't overdo it with her. They don't focus too much on her. But what they do, do, I hate, I hate that sentence, enigma that you get into where you're like, what they do do. The things they do with Amanda Waller are good. <laughs> How about that? How's that for a fucking sentence? Okay, I'm going to try to shotgun a lot of these other ones because now we're getting to the jobbers, um, the ones that are super hella dead. Um, Savant, the first character you see in the movie, played by Michael Rooker. Yes, Michael Rooker. Um, great twist with him in the beginning. Love the whole payoff with the bird. Um, he looks funny with long white hair. <laughs> uh, Blackguard, who's played by, uh, Pete Davidson from SNL. I, I like the payoff with him, too. I like that he's kind of just this shit heel, and then he is, like, the first one to die. <laughs> other than Weasel, I think. Um, cool. Bye, Blackguard. You traitorous bitch. Um, TDK, who is the, de the, 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 de oh my god, the detachable kid, <laughs> who is basically arms fall off boy. We all know this now. Um, played by Nathan Fillion. I think with Nathan Fillion, you either really like him, or you don't know who he is, or you hate him because everyone likes him. Um, I like Nathan Fillion enough. I didn't watch any Firefly, Serenity stuff. Um, but I like him, and I like that he shows up and stuff. TDK is fucking funny, dude. The idea that he could pop off his arms and then send the arms after you, but they're not fast. Like, the arms move about as fast as Nathan Fillion can run. And then they just, like, slap you and punch you. They do regular arm stuff. He's not, like, a real fighter. He's just like, I'll annoy you with my floating arms. And then TDK is the only death... I guess prior to Rick Flag and stuff, but, like, TDK is the only death where I felt bad, right? Because the soldiers start shooting his arms, and then TDK, who's, like, 20 feet away, falls on the floor and starts screaming. <laughs> and he's coughing up blood. Because hit them shooting his arms is the equivalent of someone shooting his arms while they're attached to him. So, when they're doing the credits montage of, you know, all the people who have already died, fucking, uh... He's, he's not completely dead. He's, like, coughing up blood and, like, just worming around on the ground without arms. And it's like, oh, my God, that's so sad. <laughs> His arms get shot, and he just falls down and rolls around like he's having a stroke. It's so sad. Oh, my God. Uh, Javelin, cool costume. Reminded me of Booster Gold. Um, cool that he's, I don't know, I don't know what his, like... I don't know what his... I guess he's German. He's fun. For the moment that he's here. And of course, Javelin gets to live on by giving his Javelin to Harley Quinn. I, I really respect that they didn't 
equate the javelin to a dick joke. I think that really would have been low-hanging fruit. Um, and it's funny, too, because, you know, they describe him as an Olympic athlete who wields javelins as a weapon. No, no, no. He just wields a javelin. It doesn't even do anything special. He just uses a javelin. And obviously it plays off towards, like, the end part of the movie, but, like, I don't know. It's fun. It's fun to turn this nothing character into, oh, he he's a weapon that Harley can use later. Um, and then there's Mongal, who is uh, an alien. <laughs> Again, uh, I would have probably leaned into that a bit more. She's kind of this warrior uh, gladiator lady. I kind of hope in a future movie, Mongol from like Superman comics shows up on Earth and is like, I'm looking for Amanda Waller. Uh, I heard that you killed my daughter. <laughs> or sister. I don't know what Mongol is to... Uh... Hold on. Okay, hold on. Oh, she's like d deeply... Si sister? No, son. No daughter. Okay, yeah, Mongol is... Mongal is the daughter of the original Mongol. Um, yeah, just for him to show up and be like, yeah, you killed my daughter, and I want to have a conversation about that. That'd be funny. Um, but yeah, she's just warrior, gladiator, alien lady. They do even... Uh, in a movie where the main enemy, Starro, is an alien, they kind of just treat the Mongal thing as like, oh yeah, she's from space or something. I don't know. Who gives a shit? She looks like a messed up Starfire. Who cares? Um, she dies in a helicopter fire. Oh, God, an alien mass murderer. More Mongol. Just, justice for Mongal. That's all I'm saying. And then Weasel, who's a weasel man. He's played by Sean Gunn. Um, what's his name? James Gunn's brother, who he sneaks into every one of his movies. Uh, weasel is uncomfortable and weird, and he killed, like, six children in, uh, in, his, in, the, in his past. Um, you, you really don't know how sentient he is. Because he doesn't wear clothes, but he sits like a person. And they I love that they don't go into what exactly he is, if he's like a science experiment, or or if he's an animal that was given a human body. No one knows, no one asks. He's just a weirdo. And he dies by drowning, and that's really funny. But then he doesn't die, and then he's alive at the end. What the fuck? <laughs> Oh, okay. Oh, and then, I didn't even put his name on this list. Oh, my God. Um, Jai Courtney as Captain Boomerang, right? That was a bit of a surprise. I really, I didn't think he would die. But I guess it makes sense, because he was part of the team that was supposed to die. Um, he's got like, these cool boomerangs. He, he gets, <clears throat> he gets to, like, slice a dude's head off with his boomerang. Like, he does, it's funny. Captain Boomerang in this movie gets, like a better action scene in two minutes than the entirety of the first movie. <laughs> um, yeah, he's fun. He's Australian. And then he dies, and it's like, I get it. You know? It, his, you don't really need him on this new team. His his abilities kind of clash with what everyone else can do. He would have just kind of chewed up screen time and gotten in the way. He doesn't really serve much to do on this new Suicide Squad like team. So... I get killing him off, and that's a good surprise, too. That's a good way to set up your audience to be like, oh, anyone can die, even people from the first movie. Um, and I like his death a lot, because I think his body gets pelted with spikes or something, and he falls to the ground, there's a helicopter that's flying up, and it's gonna, sh like, cut him to pieces or whatever. 
And Harley Quinn is like, Boomer, no! Captain Boomerang, no! And uh, before Captain Boomerang dies, again, he's just on his knees on the beach, full of, like, spikes in his chest, and the helicopter's flying up towards him. And I noticed this because I was paying attention. Before the helicopter kills him, Captain Boomerang just smiles and shrugs. And I love that. I love, like, yeah, it was going to be one of, like, we... I went into this knowing that I might have, that I would have, you know, I probably would have died. And it's like, whatever, dude. You, you're, even if you do more Suicide Squad movies, there are other characters out there. You're never going to use Captain Boomerang in a Flash movie. And even still, Captain Boomerang has a son. So, you can just use his son, who looks exactly like Jai Courtney, but a little younger. <laughs> um... I don't, a lot of people were, like, kind of upset about the Captain Boomerang thing. I don't care that he died. I like, I like that. That was a fun surprise, and it, it set you up and kind of foreshadowed, like, characters from the first movie dying, i.e. Rick Flagg. So, bye, Captain Boomerang. You know, you, you know, he was using a glowing white boomerang. It would be fun if just in a future movie, Captain Boomerang came back and was like, that's right. Captain Boomerang is back. I've come back, much like a boomerang. I've come back to life through, I don't know, a magic boomerang. That'd be funny, dude. If he comes back and he's like, yeah, I'm kind of surprised too. I, I guess the whole boomerang mode, I guess this glowing boomerang I found in the Aztec temples or whatever is special. Like he just didn't know he had the metahuman power to come back to life. That'd be a fun twist. I, I, would, I would petition to that. He should come back in the, the Peacemaker show and be like, that's right. Boomerang powers, baby. I was bit by a radioactive boomerang, baby. <laughs> All right, now I'm gonna try to like run through these notes because I had a, I got a couple that I didn't get to talk about. Um, the pacing is really good, and I'm kind of surprised because there's a lot of bits where we're doing something with a character over here, and then it's like eight minutes ago, and it's we're we're seeing what these other characters are doing. Um, and there's a lot of, like, title cards, and, like, when Starro shows up, there's, like, big font in the sky that says Starro versus the Suicide Squad, or the Suicide Squad versus Starro. There's bits where it's, like, you know, eight hours earlier, or, um, some of the, oh, like, I think when Savant dies towards the beginning, his blood goes into the ocean, and I don't think it's the font of the movie, I don't think it's the title of the movie, I think it's, like, a movie by James Gunn, or James Gunn Presents, or Warner Brothers Presents, um, it's just super artsy, and I like that. I like the art presentation in this movie. Um, like, James Gunn is, like, smart about that. <laughs> he plays a lot with, like, like, scenery and, uh, like, you know, blood and, like, random stuff, and, like, mud. Like, he does a lot with random environmental aspects, making, like, fonts instead of just dropping, like, boom, Paris, France, nineteen eighty four or whatever. Um, so that's super good. I really like the presentation there, and again, the pacing is nice. In like, despite that, they kind of jump around with the plot now and again. It doesn't feel too jarring or unhinged, or I never felt overwhelmed. There's not a whole lot of hang time in this movie where it feels like wasted potential. Like, there's no point in this movie where it's like, oh, you can cut that scene out. It's not really consequential to what's going on. Like, there's none of that, and I appreciate that. It's it's snippy, it's quick, they don't waste a lot of time with who are the Suicide Squad, what do they do, Amanda Waller, what's she? What's her story about? They're like, that might be from the benefit of having a movie already, but they're like, you know how this works, we're getting right into the, like, we're dropping 
boots on the sand in the beginning of the movie. And I appreciate that. Um, and again, it's just a very colorful movie. It's very artsy with its gore. Um, and, and outside of the gore and the environmental font things, um, just the wardrobe and the style of the movies of the movie is very like we're making a Vietnam comedy or something like yellow shirts and uh, tight white polo shirts and you know uh, Idris Elba's wearing a beret or something like very like, it reminds me of, like the A Team or Mash or something. Um, I don't know anything about Mash, but like it reminds me of the A Team. <laughs> uh, let's see what else. What else? The effects are so extra and so pointless, but also look so fun. Uh, perfect setting and perfect... Oh, yeah, yeah, the the whole plot itself being, like, this is what the Suicide Squad do. And, and it's not just, like, in the last movie they dealt with a magic thing, so in this movie they deal with a space thing, but more the fact that they are dropped into a fictional, like, fictional Cuba, basically, and are doing, like, war soldier stuff. That's what the Suicide Squad are. Like... Yeah, they're black ops military or whatever, and you can drop them in a city, but, like, dropping them in a jungle to, like, a, this, like, like, uh, like, uh, I don't, I don't know how to describe this setting. <laughs> this fictional Cuba, that's what it is. It, it makes sense, and it fits to what these characters do in terms of their abilities and stuff. It's not like you're going to put Cyborg in the jungle. Um... They don't shy away from the squad being a bunch of bad people. And I appreciate that. Um, you know, the fact that they kill good people by accident, you know. Um, there's bits where King Shark almost eats them, and that's like, oh, no, 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 you're, you're not supposed to do that. Um, like, they don't try too hard to make him make all the squad members entirely good. I would say the, the, like, the goodest person is, is Ratcatcher too. Um, let's see, America caused Starro, that's a big twist in the movie, you know, James Gunn, he's, he's not afraid to, you know, punch below the belt when it comes to American history, in a real world setting, this is exactly what happened, America would be like, oh, we want to study this deadly alien, but not in America, so we'll put it in this dirty, fictional Cuban country, um, but I like that twist, I like that it's America's fault, good, T tell it like it is. Tell it like it is, James Gunn. Um, oh, there's a lot of, like... There's like a, there's some nods to the first movie in terms of, like, Harley Quinn, Boomerang, and Rick Flagg interacting with each other. But they don't straight up, like, mention El Diablo or, or um, Enchantress or, you know... What's, what's that guy? The guy who can climb anything. Slipknot. They don't mention that guy. Or Katana. Like, they don't mention some of these other characters, and it's like, fine, good. I don't need to think about the last movie. But it's such a flex on the last movie. Like, hey, you want to see a a, a a hired hitman who loves his daughter, and you want to see him be a, a four-dimensional character, a three-dimensional character? Well, well, here it is, and it's better. And hey, you want Harley Quinn to have a standout role in this movie? That's good, because we're going to do it better. <laughs> um... You want, like, an actual monster to be fighting the squad? Here's that again, but better. Like, you want a bar scene where all the characters get along? Here's that, but better. <laughs> There's a lot of that in this movie. There's a lot of, like, little flexes on the last movie. And I, as a person that hates the first Suicide Squad movie, I appreciate that. Okay, now talking about, like, the future and stuff. I'm excited for the Peacemaker show. 
Something I hope they do is, because again, I like that Peacemaker isn't an entirely comedic character. You get to see him be like, you know, Rick Flag, I like you, but I have to kill you. It's nothing personal. Like, this, it hurts me to do this because we got along. I like the idea that Peacemaker is conflicted about his own personal opinions and what he sees as his mission in life. And in the comics, Peacemaker has, like, I think his father was a Nazi, <laughs> and he talks to his helmet like it's a, a sentient thing. I hope in the Peacemaker show we get a little bit of that. A little bit of Peacemaker being crazy, a little bit on his father. Because um, there's a few times in this movie where Bloodsport is talking about his father, and Peacemaker's in the background rolling his eyes. And you're like, oh, I, it feels like Peacemaker has something to say about this, but we're not we're not doing that. Okay. Um, it would be kind of funny if the Peacemaker show was just the Suicide Squad movie again, but entirely from his perspective. That'd be kind of funny, actually. Because um, there's a couple times where he sneaks off and you don't see him. So, that could be cool. Uh, and again, he's, like, just nice enough to, like, his other team members, but just standoffish enough to be like, no, this is about the mission, it's about peace, it's about America. So, Peacemaker's a lot of fun. Of all the characters in this movie, I understand why he's the one getting the spinoff show. Um... <clears throat> Another Suicide Squad movie would be cool, but again, I'd be totally down for a Harley Quinn movie. By like just, just giving James Gunn more work in the DC universe would be fine. And again, like I was the person who was like, all right, let Gunn make his Suicide Squad movie, so we can put him back at Marvel, and he can make more Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Honestly, for as much as I like the Guardians of the Galaxy, I love Groot, I love Rocket, I love Peter Quill, I love Drax, I like Gamora. Like, as much as I love those characters. I would take, uh, like, four more Suicide Squad movies over another Guardians of the Galaxy. If, if this is what he would... If this is what he has to offer for the DC Universe. Um, I'd love that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and again, I, I will go out on a limb and say that the Suicide Squad's, like... Because, again, I don't have, like, an official ranking. But, like, when I think of good... Recent good DC cinematic movies. <clears throat> I think of Shazam. I think of the first Wonder Woman movie. And I think of The Suicide Squad. And The Suicide Squad, I think, is the best that a DC movie has to offer. Because, again, it's not afraid to be what it is. It's proud of its roots. It will give you a big blue starfish and not be embarrassed about it. Not mention how stupid this looks. Like, no. This exists and we're dealing with it and it's a serious threat it looks ridiculous and it's ripping people's faces off like that's dc like <laughs> dc comics looks ridiculous but it's full of serious threats and emotionally like deep characters and james gunn understands that and i appreciate that he was able to put that on screen for people you know like the harley quinn in this movie is the kind of harley quinn that young adult women should aspire to be instead of other instead of you know the other suicide squad harley quinn like this is the harley quinn you look to almost as a role model she's still kind of a bad person but almost as a role model like in what other movie could john cena play peacemaker a charlatan comics character that was bought by dc and, and gets to just wear his fucking... He gets to wear his goddamn toilet seat helmet. 
he looks like Peacemaker, and he acts like Peacemaker, too. Like, in, in any other WB movie, they would change shit. He wouldn't have a helmet. He'd have a completely black costume. Maybe there'd be a little bird outline on his shoulder. Like, we, we know this because we've seen the other Suicide Squad movie where Rick Flagg just looks like a generic soldier. You can't tell him apart from any other background character. But in this movie, it's like, not only does he get to have his own look and have his own way of talking, but he also gets to be surrounded by these colorful, weird, combo characters that complement how normal and grounded he is. Like, this movie is just so smart, and it's so respectful of what it is. And it's not, again, there's no shame to what it is. And WB, like, I it's tough. Because I don't want to say Warner Brothers should give their directors more creative control. Because I don't want any more Snyder cuts. I don't want an A or cut. But when it comes to this movie, it wouldn't be what it is if WB didn't just back off. So, I, I don't know. Like, if if this is what WB looks like when it's letting its directors make what they want to want to make with no interference and no backtracking and no additional cuts, like, I, I'm looking forward to the future. <laughs> like, I'm looking forward to Matt Reeves' The Batman. I'm, I'm all Batmaned out, but, like, it, it, knowing that, like, directors are creative and have these visions that aren't, like, propagated by, like, a bias... Because I feel like Zack Snyder's bias was that, like, he just didn't think the movies went far enough. And I don't think that's a good way to look at a DC Comics superhero movie about Superman and Batman. That's a different context, right? But, like, it's not like James Gunn would do the exact same thing with Superman that he did with the Suicide Squad. Like, like his brand of directing works with the Suicide Squad, but I feel like he also understands that that approach fits these characters. Just like with the Guardians of the Galaxy, he didn't need to go over the top with gore or violence or curse words. He just did what he thought was appropriate with the Guardians of the Galaxy, and it worked. So, maybe this is less about WB giving people control, and it's more about people giving James Gunn credit. Because he's a really good director, and it is just embarrassingly, like, it's embarrassingly... Not, I don't know, dirty, I guess, to, like, the fact that he was canceled because of some tweets. Like, I don't know. He just, he came back swinging, and I love James Gunn as a director, and I want to see more stuff by him, especially more DC stuff. Um, it was a lot of fun. This movie was a lot of fun. I, I'm going to watch it again. You should definitely see it in theaters or get HBO Max. There's a lot of good stuff on HBO Max. This is not an ad. I wish they would pay me, but no one knows who I am. I have five listeners, so works out <laughs> for everyone. Um, but go see Suicide Squad, it, the Suicide Squad. It's really good. It's a lot of fun, and uh, I couldn't recommend it enough. And listen, for the small amounts of criticism I had, I really, I tried really hard not to give the Suicide Squad an A plus because I'm sure there's problems with the movie. But like, guys, this is like my favorite DC movie right now. I think it's the best. And so, here at the Panel Biter, I gave The Suicide Squad an A-plus rating. So, go watch it. Whew, okay. That is the review today. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I know it was a bit of a long one. 
but that's what you come to expect from me now. Um, keep an eye out. You know, we got more Raffi reviews coming out. Um, what else? What else do I have coming out? I don't know. I'm trying to work on other stuff to do in terms of podcasting, just to have some variety. But um, you can check me out on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on YouTube. I actually just uploaded a YouTube video. Um, some funny bits from past podcasts about Superman. There's this whole bit about Superman being able to put his pants on two legs at a time, so that's fun. And, uh, again, thank you for listening so much, and I hope you enjoy your day, and I will see you guys next time. Goodbye.